In the shadow of the most powerful city in the world, the Capital Golf Gang is on the air with instructor John Ronis from the Ronis Academy at River Creek, executive director of the Middle Atlantic PGA, John Gould, and former University of Maryland golfer, Ron Thomas. And now your host from Afternoon Drive on the Team 980 Radio in Washington, D.C., Steve Zabin. Welcome to another edition of the Capital Golf Gang presented by Golfdom on the road this week. So we are going one by one by one with the members of the Capital Golf Gang by phone, starting with John Rodas, then to Ron Thomas, and then to John Gould at the end. Each gentleman has a unique perspective on this past week at TPC Potomac at Avenel Farms. And we start with Mr. Ronas, who was with me on the deck on <laughs> Wednesday, or no, Thursday, Thursday last yeah. week. And it was sort of a meh day, and it turns out it was the best day they had. I know, it was crazy. I just felt so bad for the promoters of the tournament and everything because, I mean, Friday and Saturday were, were epic. Epic bad. Yeah. Yeah, they were, they mean, were completely terrible. You know what it got me to thinking of? It got me to thinking... When was the last time a tour event in the States played consecutive days in steady rain with temperatures no higher than 52? No, I can't think of one. They I really can't. They don't play anywhere where they no. catch weather like that. I mean, that is European tour right there. <laughs> right. Right. No, I can't. I can't think of it myself. It was. It was wild. It was wild. It was terrible, but they got to play it, and that's a testament to the revamp of Avenel and the drainage and the grounds crew yeah. and everything else. But they they got through it. So Max Homa, your winner at nine under par, and Max Homa for those who are just now getting up to speed on him, might just be the most interesting man on tour. Might just be the most thoughtful guy on tour. He's already the social media champion, and he has now won four times in about 18 months. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very cool to see that, you know, this is the next generation. We need the next generation to not only be the uh, talent, but we need some, I don't want to call him a character because he's not a character, no. but we need some personality. And without that, we go, as I've said this many times before, we go down the route of tennis and the Yvonne Lendl and Pete Sampras show that crushed tennis. So we need some, not bad guys like McEnroe, but we need personalities on the PGA Tour and ones that win. Yeah. Homa is 27, I believe, something around there. Yeah. He's young. He is from California. He did not grow up at a private club. Uh, nope. said he was glad he did not grow up in a par private club because that's not his vibe. He played at Cal, but felt yeah. like he was not nearly in the same class as guys like Colin Morikawa. Struggled yep. early on the tour. In fact, in 2017, he played like 18 events, made three cuts, finished 50 or lower each time, and took home like 18 grand. Yeah, and that's that's the test, right? That's right. the test that they plenty of them have had, and it's just a matter is do you pass that test? Do you forge forward? Which his attitude and what he said in public is amazing. Of you know accepting that he needed to forge forward, or else uh, he took the, the kind of the passion of his life and ruined it. Not not as a way to make money or anything like that, but the actual passion of his life 
he didn't want to ruin. He didn't want golf to get to ruined, be ruined by being something he's trying to do to make a living. Yeah. 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 And it's an amazing attitude. And you, you forwarded that article and I forwarded you back the interview that he gave. Um, and I don't know when that interview was, but his perspective on things is, is really, really refreshing. And, we're gonna, um, and his honesty is refreshing. Yeah, let's talk about that here. Uh, he opened his presser after the win with a funny quip saying, perspective is running rampant today. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was funny. Perspective is running rampant today. That's great. Uh, others have called him the big perspective. In this, uh, in his own words, Golf Magazine article, which I found fascinating, he said, three, he said a lot of things that were interesting, but I'll pick the three that stuck out to me. Number one was he said, Fame out here is non-existent. He said there's only four guys anybody recognizes. That's and amazing. I was like, wow, he's probably not wrong. And then I started thinking about the four. I'm like, Tiger, Phil, probably Rory, probably yeah. Dustin Johnson because he's such a big figure. Right. Could it possibly be Spieth? I don't know. I think he's absolutely right. I mean, to go to four, to go to number five, you have a major drop-off. Right. So that was number one. He said, fame out here is non-existent. The other thing he said was, you know, guys get clobbered with no understanding of how hard this is and how many great players are out there. He says, Rory in particular, you know, he finishes fifth in a major and he gets killed because, you know, it's been a long time since he won one last. And it's like, dude... He beat 150 of the world's best players. He just didn't beat four of them. Get a grip. And as he said, it, he gets the question of what happened. What? Right. What happened? <laughs> what happened? Golf happened. I'm still really good. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he says, you know, he gets torched by some in the press about not having, you know, championship medal or the focus. And I say that from time to time, but it's because I love Rory so much. Now, the third thing he said that stuck out to me was just how he said, you know, the guy that I really admire is Jordan Spieth because mentally he's on a whole different level and he can't compete speed-wise with a lot of the top guys on tour, but the way he approaches it, he has no qualms about getting in there and competing with guys and doing it on a mental basis. And I thought that that was fascinating. Quite a comment, actually. Pretty mm-hmm. impressive comment. Yeah. yeah. So, so, what did you take out of the article? Well, I thought it, it, just the the multiple layers of how he approaches things now and how he understands things. You know, it's he's got he's got a perspective, right? But he also has techniques. You know, the technique that he mentioned in the interview is when he sits on tees where he's a, a little bit antsy or something like that. He he just uh, mentions things that he's grateful for to himself. Now that's great. That's always great to do, and we can put ourselves in the sports psychology of happy thoughts. Yeah. But it's a technique that really, as you know, my formula of distractions and performance, but that's an actual distraction from the negative with a positive. Right. So that's a very you know, honed-in technique that he's, he's, he's getting there. I think it's amazing. So he's, he's not just you know, sitting there going, oh, you know, this is great. I'm, I'm out here. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, no, no, no. He works, first of all, incredibly hard, which you mentioned. He's not afraid to work hard. And he has techniques to get him through the situations that he knows are going to happen every week. Right. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Practicing gratitude is recommended by just about every self-help, self-help guru and, you know, life coach, if you will. And it's a, it's a definite thing that we all should do more often.
It is, but at the same time, we can sit there. I remember sports psychology in college. It was very new at the time, you know, the 1900s when I was going to college. <laughs> but it was, you know, put yourself on a cloud and think happy thoughts. Well, that's great if you've put in the 100 hours that week of practice. But if you don't do that, all of that stuff is nonsense because right. anyone could be on the PGA Tour if you just had to think happy thoughts. Yeah, yeah, there's no question about it. And even the best in the world, I'm sure, have doubts about am I good enough? Do I Do I belong out here? Even if you are out there and you have had some, some success, I got to believe that still creeps into their minds. Of course it does. Of course. And it has to. And again, that's the test. That's the test that are you going to pass it each and every day? Are you going to pass that test that there's going to be barriers and you have to break through them? It's simple as that. It's everything in life, whether you're playing golf or you're working, you know, for a boss that you can't stand or whatever, there are barriers every day and you have to make a decision. Am I going to bust through these barriers or am I going to just let them stop me from, you know, accomplishing my dreams? Right. Uh, what do you think the upside is on a guy like Max Homa? Well, again, I mean, as I've always said before, they, a lot of these guys are incredibly talented, so it's just a matter of longevity at this point. You know, if he plays until he's 42 years old, um, he's got a good chance of, of, you know, winning some majors maybe and things like that. Unfortunately, we still – sorry about this dog barking in the background. <laughs> okay. We have we, we have the, uh, the Tiger Woods that we have to put everyone against, but right. um, I think he's young. I think he's got a great – attitude and i think he's got a great golf swing so i think he'll be very successful he's a great follow on social media as well awesome and unlike a lot of players you're like ah, i must go into my tunnel must focus he pretty much plays with social media and has fun with it and does not worry about it somehow affecting his mental life and you know interesting he said that he mentioned in the article that sometimes he is too self-deprecating right you know we all want to be self-deprecating and as the guys in my band say, don't be that, that ugly cheerleader. In other <laughs> words, don't say things like, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, so that people come up to you and go, oh, no, you are good enough. Right. People right. like you. So, <laughs> you know, he realized. for affirmation, basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so he realized that he, he needs to do that as part of a shtick a little bit, but at the same time, it can't define it. Yeah. So I was watching the coverage from the uh, Comfort and warmth of my basement in glorious <laughs> high definition, not out there schlepping around, trying to crane my neck and slipping on muddy hills to see one or two shots, freezing my giblets off in 49 yeah. degrees and rain. Although I would say there was a, there was a, couple, of, uh, there was a couple of times in which the main camera on the hole that CBS was showing was fogged over. And I, oh, know, I know that they must do everything they can to prevent that. But there's yeah. got to be technology. I feel like I want to invent some sort of rain hood for cameras that prevents that from ever happening again. Because that was my only gripe from the warmth of my couch at home. Didn't we just used to spit in our goggles at the McLean yes. Hamlet pool? And <laughs> then you just up. rub it in there? Yeah, I think that's what does it. So they just should have spit on the lens. Yeah, somebody should have licked the lens. Uh, that's they, right. They, they say with, Go, with GoPros, like if you have water in your lens, you lick it. And it creates a hydrophobic layer where the okay. water won't stick on it. You look really stupid. And wait till you look at your footage from the beach with your family where intermittently there's your tongue <laughs> licking the GoPro. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So that's anyway, great. I'm watching the tournament, and I'm, I'm thinking a couple things. One is I'm seeing a lot more of Keegan Bradley than I have in many a year. 
Right. And I'm thinking about this going, man, I mean, I'm glad he's he's back playing at a higher level. I still don't like his pre-shot routine because it's very, very frustrating. Yeah. I don't know if he's technically slow, but the way he approaches and pulls back and whatever. But it, it occurred to me watching him and then watching Jason Day fall apart on Saturday, which was unfortunate. All I could think about was I remember like it was yesterday, Keegan Bradley whooping it up with Phil at the Ryder Cup at Medina in 2012. I remember when Jason Day was pumping his bicep at Whistling Straits, playing with Jordan Spieth, and now here they are just fighting like crazy to be relevant again. It's got to be Yeah, tough. I mean, it's it's a hard game. It and is. Jason Day is about as soft as your five, five-year-old teddy bear. I mean, he is he's the softest of the soft. soft so when things mentally? go bad, oh, yeah. Really? When things go bad. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Look at me. I'm, I know. I'm, you know, I'm but, a golf pro. No, but that's okay to have that opinion. I, I didn't see him have any tantrums per se. No, no, no. He just, I think he's, a, he's as I say, an animal of prey, which, which I tell kids that I teach, don't be an animal of prey who can just shut down when they get caught by the tiger and they don't have to suffer. Oh. And he's an animal of prey. When he shuts down, he shuts down. There's no real, real fight so there's in not, him. He's just too comfortable. You don't see the grind. He is a yeah. if if the machine is firing at all cylinders, he could lap the field, but otherwise yep. he's not going to fight through it. Okay, yeah. I just think he's too t- too comfortable with no real legacy to fight for. Yeah, I, I also was uh, interested to see some names as I scanned the bottom of the field, both on Thursday and Friday before the cut, and then also on the weekend. At guys, I'm like, wow, he's still out there. I know. Rory Sabatini, the other Rory, is still out there. I know. It must have been 30 years ago when he was walking in front of people at Congressional just <laughs> it, to finish his round. It feels I mean, like it, it. Yes. Now, he won. Uh, I, I don't think it was that year, but he won at this event at the Booz Allen. So I think he had a exemption for that. Yeah. And I'll never forget. It's, it's weird. <laughs> I'll never forget that uh, the then tournament director, who I won't name, uh, he, he did it for one or two years, um, said that Sabatini's wife lit into him because his banner with his photo was not displayed as a past champion on the road leading into Avenel. They had all the other past champions. They somehow didn't have him. I don't know if it was, it couldn't have been on purpose. It might have just been, well, we ran out of road or we didn't get this year's updated <laughs> And ridiculous. I thought that that is life on tour uh, for, totally for some people. Uh, what what yeah. else were your thoughts about uh, the tournament? And then you want to share an email with me? Yeah, I do. I, you know, again, I just I commend them for getting the tournament in and for finishing on Sunday. It's a, and you know what? I also commend the players for grinding through it. People like Rory McIlroy, who you know he didn't have to grind through that nonsense, and he did, and he yeah. fought for it. Every stroke and came in fourth place. I thought it was. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I commend everyone for that. All right. Let's uh, let's get to your email. I'll put you on speakerphone here, real quick, so I can just read this. This is um, from a listener, an avid listener. His name is Adam, and his last name is Bachelor. So he writes, "I'm an avid listener of the Capital Golf Gang podcast. Each week, I'm very interested in. He wants a copy of my book. How can he get it?" I have been playing golf since I was eight. I will be 45 this year. While my handicap only dipped into the single digits for a short time, I hope to get back there again one day. My dad took me to the country club as a young boy, and I hope to be able to do the same with my two sons, now four and a half and one and a half years old. 
My dad turned 75. This is where it gets good. Next year, and we are working on planning a trip to St. Andrews so I can play the old course with him. He lost all his fingers on his right hand when I was two trying to clear a piece of corn from a combine he was test running for a customer. Oh my. He is played with special glove designed by a local cobbler in Sioux City, Iowa, my hometown, which allows him to grip the club with his left hand and wrap a piece of Velcro around the right hand and the shaft to keep his bottom hand on. He is probably between 10 and 15 handicapped and plays almost every day in retirement. And then he goes on to talk a little bit about the book again. I, I just find this, Abe, to be everything that we're talking about today in that this is what golf is all about. And what Homer was saying was he didn't want that sport that he loved so much to turn into a terror for him. And this, these people losing fingers and still loving the game, I, I just think it's the greatest thing in the world. And that's why we have this show. And that's why golf is the greatest game on the planet. It really is. Game of a lifetime and uh, a generational game that brings generations together. That is an inspiring story. Remind people yeah. your book and how to get it. Uh, it's called Raising a Junior Golfer. And um, really, just email me on johnronisgolfacademy at gmail.com. And um, I will tell you everything to do and send one out to you. There's but a I, I've gotten, yeah. from because of you, I've gotten all these kind of uh, requests. And the places I'm sending them to, it's just fascinating the reach that you've provided for this show. So I, I certainly appreciate being a part of it. Well, I, I, I'm, I love talking to you guys every week. And... We're happy to be on WJFK on Saturday mornings at 7, but I think really now putting this up as a podcast, you can search for it wherever you get your podcasts. More and more people are finding it from all over, yeah. and it's like you put these little pieces of content, like messages in a bottle, out yeah. onto the ocean, and you don't know where they're going to land. It's so cool and very humbling. It's just, it's just so cool. So yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. The quote I think of in regards to your, uh, your guy there is, uh, or, or just your point about, you know, not letting the game terrify you or hate it because you're trying to make a living. I think the quote was like, if, if you, if golf is a game in which if you don't love it, it's no fun. If you do, it'll break your heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet we still have people trying to play every year. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Exactly you're right. right. But it's worth it. You know what? It's worth it. It's yeah. worth it. Yeah. Coming up, we're going to talk to uh, Ron Thomas. We got a dump of photos of Ron and his son, Winston, at yeah. the Pro-Am. And I mean, it is a treasure trove of a lucky young 15-year-old boy living his best life. Yeah, it really is. He doesn't know it yet, but that's going to be, he, he will look back and say, God, thank Dad for this. Exactly. I want to see if Ron will adopt me as a son. Yeah, I'm right. I'm available. Exactly. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week, Mr. Ronis. We appreciate your time as always. All right. Thanks, Nick. Listening to the Capital Golf Gang, a foursome of men with tight pants, tighter wallets, and vanity handicaps. Capital Golf Gang continues our one by one by one approach this week. Ron Thomas is in the two hole this week, and he was out there at TPC Potomac at Avenel Farms on Wednesday 
for the Pro-Am, a very unique experience and one in which both Ron and his son Winston, I'm sure, Ronnie, you guys will talk about that for years to come. How awesome was it? Well, on a scale of 1 to 10, it was about a 15. <laughs> I love it. It really was. It was, um, it was everything and then some more. Um, you let, know, me the, start, let me start with this. Uh, the Pro-Am, yeah. have you ever played in a Pro-Am? I've never played in a Pro-Am. I know you've played in a couple of them. I, 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 I think you're right. Uh, but anyway, for those that don't know, let me just lay it out for the casual sports fan or casual golf fan. The PGA Tour in a way to raise money for charity, has its tour players at each stop play with amateurs on the Wednesday before competition rounds, right? Correct. And they require each of the pros, or is it a subset of the entire field that plays in the pro-am per I week? think it's based on how many players they need. So okay. there were fifth, there were 56 groups, so they needed 56 players. I don't know how they determined. Uh, and do players volunteer to play the Pro-Am? I, I, I really don't know. Okay. I didn't right. go into it. I didn't ask. Anyway, so. Uh, I just. Yeah. So they do they, well, this. Now, well, let me tell you this, Steve. The thing that they do now, it, it used to be hard to get everybody to play 18 holes because their practice routine may only be nine holes and it may be doing some family stuff or doing some right. media stuff. So now they have split it up. It's new this year, nine holes, whether we played the front nine with a professional and then the back nine with a different professional. Oh, that's even better. Exactly. That because, because you catch a pro in a pro-am who's not happy to be there, not playing well, wife has left him. Who knows, right? Hasn't you, made a cut in four weeks. Exactly. I, I think I've heard over the years, Ron, some legendary stories of real a-hole pros in pro-ams and just how they're like, yeah, your swing sucks, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, after a while, it, it, uh, it's it got to wear on them. No, I, I know and it I, does. I, but, it's, but I set this up as a preamble because <clears throat> it's a very unique thing to big time sports. I mean, imagine getting to shoot around or or have a, a game of horse with Ja Morant prior to game three of the Western semis, right? Like that yes, you couldn't exactly. do that. This is the equivalent of that. And so they they auction they don't auction, they, they I guess they sell these uh spots. You can buy in to a pro yes, amateur event. To, to, to get a foursome for this event was thirty thousand dollars. A foursome. Hmm. Now, I luckily the and each apparently each week at each tour event, the tour or the event gives a foursome, <clears throat> excuse me, to a charity. And in this case, they gave it to Salute Military Golf Association, which is near and dear to our friend CJ's heart, right. and Jimmy Estes out at yep. Olney Golf Park. And so what happens is then they were able to auction off the foursome and i was fortunate to find some guys that went in on it for a nice um, yeah for a nice price and it goes and to then, charity and so then it's that a money right goes off. to that to yes. the salute military yeah they get that money yeah, and that's um, that's outstanding so with that as a preamble it's an incredible experience you are playing golf on the actual tour venue 
with actual tour pros who are going to be in the field that week and you're up close with them and they are, you know, there's always the few stories, like I said, of these grumpy pros, but today's modern player, they're not that way. They're very engaged. They're very aware of their obligation to grow the game. And I've heard they are fantastic. Who did you guys have? Well, the first, the front nine, we played with Danny Lee and Danny Lee is a South Korean who then went to New Zealand and was, became a New Zealand citizen. And uh, Danny Lee won the 2008 U.S. Amateur. At the time he won, he was 18 years and one month. At Pinehurst, which, ecl- right? which eclipsed, uh, I don't know if it was Maybe at Pinehurst. I should know that. But it eclipsed Tiger Woods' record for being the youngest winner by a couple months. Uh, that has since been beaten. But he, So he's the second youngest. And Danny Lee has also won on the PGA Tour. And Danny Lee could not have been... <clears throat> pardon me, more kind, more engaging, uh, more into us trying to win the thing because the prizes are nice and you're trying to win. And what we did is we all play the hole and then we play one net ball out of the group. Ooh. And yeah, one net ball. That's it. Max par. We did. Luckily we didn't have to worry about that. And they assume you're not going to. Um, so yeah, we played the front nine with Danny Lee and then it's funny, you, you make the turn, and then you go to the back, and there is your back nine golf professional waiting, PGA professional waiting for you on the 10th tee. <laughs> That's you know, it's incredible. Just, it so is. who and did you have on the back nine? <clears throat> the back nine, we had a gentleman named Matthias Schwab, and I immediately thought of you, Steve, because <laughs> of how much you enjoy the European players that have the two dots above one of their letters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love I love the weird punctuation marks we don't have here in the States. So let me go back to Danny Lee. By the way, he did win at Pinehurst. Your backyard okay. there, uh, Ronnie. I should have known that. Uh, that's I know. okay. Sorry. That's, that's okay. <laughs> you sent me a photo. You sent all of us on the golf gang a photo of Danny Lee talking to your son Winston as they walked down the fairway as Winston was carrying your bag. And man, Ron, that got me mm, right here because <laughs> – I know I, as a 15-year-old boy, would be over the moon with a real-life, bona fide PGA Tour pro talking with me. And you said they talked pretty much the, the whole entire nine. nine holes. That Danny Lee spoke with Winston more. He conversed with Winston more than he did with any of us. And part of that came from there were times when we allowed Winston to hit some shots. I'm not, I shouldn't say we allowed. We asked him to, and Danny encouraged him to hit some shots. And Winston has a good golf swing, and Danny was very pleased with what he saw. And it jumped right into the, what are you playing, AJGA, this and that. And, of course, Winston's not playing AJGA because he's in the middle of baseball and he plays basketball. And Danny really liked that. He said something to the effect of, I wish I had had that opportunity because wow. he was thrown into golf at a very young age and didn't play the other sports. So they really hit it off. And um, it's so impressive, and for obviously for Winston to see that up close, which is why I wanted him out there. Winston was caddying. I don't think I clarified that. Right, he did not right, play. right, right. But uh, just for him to see that up close and to see the ball striking and to see the mannerisms and to see the focus and to see the routine, uh, it's just so remarkable. It, it, uh, you know, I've seen it up close, Steve, as you know, but carrying a bag for Fred Funk. But right. this it's a whole different day and age. These guys are complete and total 
studs as they're we know freaks. They, they really are, are. Freaks. they really are and danny lee and, can uh, move it too man what a yeah, swing da- he has yep and da- yeah and danny lee's caddy is a winner on the mckenzie tour in canada wow and he's played all the small tours here and he just couldn't make it so he said he had an opportunity came up and he grabbed danny lee's bag and i think that that's you know it's incredible when you think about it that these guys to be to to go from being such a good player uh, to then carrying a golf bag oh. is it's I it's got to be a lot of it's, stuff. Yeah, it's got to be humbling as hell. Yes, it, it'd be but like it, it'd be like being a rock star, and then having to go set up the equipment and not play on stage at that's all. A to very being a good roadie, analogy. Very know. good analogy. So we go to the back nine. We walk up. Matthias Schwab, who is an Austrian, who is, again, very kind, went to Vanderbilt, very Americanized, uh, back-to-back third-place finishes in the NCAA tournament in 2016-2017. I think he finished 17 on the, 17th on the order of merit in 2019. Uh, like lost in a playoff at the German Porsche Cup and the Italian okay. Open. He finished fourth. So, you know, you get the idea. Guy who can play. So his caddy, I had done some research. I walk up and I was always taught to you get one chance to make that first impression. That's you true. Know, it sounds trite, but with yeah. these guys, you really want to because it's going to engage them. Yeah. So I shook Matthias's hand and I looked at his caddy and I said, James Baker. And he said, that's me, a- a- Englishman. And I said, <laughs> I said, congratulations on that win at Abu Dhabi with Lee Westwood and his jaw dropped. No he way. Said, Thanks, mate. He said, well, you did your research. And I said, oh, I, you know, I, I, of course. So, yeah, he caddied when uh, Westwood's girlfriend or wife at the time, I don't know what they were, huh. didn't caddy for a few weeks. So he took the bag and he goes and wins the European title, you know, at Abu Dhabi. So, wow. And then, and then I, got, it got, I got so close with this guy over these holes. Uh, big Manchester United fan. I follow a little bit of soccer, not much. But it turned out to where we exchanged numbers because he wanted some advice and opinions on where to go down into Washington, D.C., to what monuments. So I sent him to um, Arlington National and, you know, this stuff. Instead of sending them to the Washington Monument or Capitol Hill, right, I sent him right. to the real stuff. And he was so grateful for that. So they get stuff out of it, too, Steve. Oh, sure. You know. That's, that's uh, awesome. And Matthias is sponsored by Red Bull because his dad is friends with the founder of Red Bull. And, uh, and then he's talking about, and he and Winston are talking about Formula One, which I know you've been talking about a little bit later, uh, lately. And yeah, he knows yeah, yeah, Verstappen yeah. pretty well. And, you know, these European guys, we're so narrow-minded here sometimes. We just think, oh, it's all America. It's all yeah. America. But these guys live such a cool life over there. They really do. He lives in this beautiful part of Austria. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is, that Just, is really cool. And yeah. and he, he can play like you wouldn't believe as well. And I'd say most even hardcore golf fans have never heard of Matthias Schwab. Yeah. And that day is coming though, where you're going to hear of him because uh, he's a solid human being, but he's got such a good golf game, his golf swing. I mean, Steve, these guys, I know that we just said how good they are, but, they don't miss a shot. That's the thing you see up close. <laughs> their misses are literally five, ten yards right of their targets. That's their miss. That's amazing. Their, their misses aren't sliced and cut and pulled and duck hooked and stuff that we're used to. Their misses are so slight. And um, <clears throat> something else we got to do. Well, first of all, here's how my day started. I got to tell you this quickly. I walk on to the first tee. John Gould is there in his 
you know, in his yes. coat and tie. Oh, yeah. And I get a, I get a tap on the shoulder and a guy says, you Ron Thomas? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, I'm Steve Garcia, director of security for the PGA Tour. Oh boy. And I, I'm thinking, wait a second, I've been sober for 10 years. Well, I haven't done anything wrong. Any... <laughs> this is how my day started. So you know what he says to me? He says, uh, he says, your buddy Eric Lance sent me over here to see you. Play well. Have fun today. And I said, oh, no my God. Way. <laughs> yes, that's so how my day started. So your, buddy, your buddy set you up by telling yes. the tour's director of security <laughs> To Steve tap Garcia. you on the shoulder menacingly as if you were going to be yanked before you hit a single shot That's just to F with you. <laughs> True story. You know, these friends, you get these friends. Uh, but did you get an airborne? I did. I hit a good one. Good. A uh, little left. I made par on the first. I actually shot one under on the front, Steve. Damn. I shot, I shot 73. I played from what off. tees? Uh, from the, I mean, we were probably at six to maybe sixty-one or two. I'd say maybe oh, that short. Okay, I, I right. just don't know. You don't look. It doesn't matter. How how was uh, the golf course? It's perfect. The rough was a pain. I think you heard the story about the divots. They had, the members had been hitting off of. They had to carry portable their mats. own yeah their own portable mats with them for four months. That's crazy. So they were they replaced the club replaced thirty thousand divots since January first. So the place was mint. Greens yeah. are fast. You know, you watch from outside the ropes and you see the balls roll out and all of a sudden you're the one who's doing it. Um, yeah, I the, one of the two pro-ams I got to play one year was at Avenel uh, before the redesign and it was actually rained out. It was the rainy May of 2003 where we had 25 days of rain in the 31-day month of May. Yeah. Never forget yep. it. Uh, we got in nine holes, but before it started to rain and, and washed us out, I was taken aback at just how fast PGA tournament speed greens yep. are because they do what most clubs don't, which is cut them and roll them or yes. cut them and double roll them. So or double I, cut them and double roll them. <laughs> right, exactly. And mm -hmm. so you quickly realize that – the precision required on every shot because your ball is going to roll out at one mile an hour for another two, three feet at the end of every shot, every chip, every putt, every lag, every this just puts incredible pressure on everything. Everything, every single thing. The, uh, the other thing, I, there's things I got to cover with you. We got to hit balls with these guys on the driving range. And then the most, the, probably the, the neatest thing for me was to be able to hit chip shots next to, you know, Max Homa and I was, I didn't go into the bunker because I was intimidated, but Schwartzel and Luke Donald were in one of the practice bunkers hitting bunker shots. And these are two of the best wedge players to ever play the game and two great short games. And I, you know, trying to learn from them. But here's the classic thing I did. Winston and I wanted a picture with Max Homa in the background. I sent you a picture. The guy who was chipping next to me, I was convinced was an amateur. I asked him to take a, our picture. It was Scott Gachuski or Gachuski. <laughs> He's a tour player. <laughs> yes, he is. And he took our picture and he was very kind about it. What now, wait a minute. Why Why couldn't you go up to Max Homa on a practice round Wednesday and say, I'm uh, sorry to bother you, Max. Would it be okay to take a picture with you? You felt that would have been out of bounds. I mean, no, it's, yeah, I wasn't going to do that. I thought it, I, instead I asked a, a guy to actually take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> now you just once you're inside the ropes you don't want 
to, to be that guy. Yeah, you don't want to be because it's all business and uh, the money these guys are playing for nowadays. And it's just and the points and all this stuff, you just are trying to stay out of the way. I was nervous when I went in there and I hit a couple shanks when I was chipping it. Just a little hosel thing off to the right. And Winston goes, my Winston said, what are you doing? I said, I'm not doing it on purpose. It was just a little chip shot. Dad, what are you doing? No, it was Papa. I'm Papa. Papa, what are you doing? I said, I'm nervous. Leave me alone. I don't need you. True story. Just a little bump and run chips right off the hosel. Well, that's uh, that's good stuff. Uh, give me two minutes on Max Homo. Uh, I talked about him with uh, Ronas to lead the show, and they call him the big perspective, and I uh, shared that article with him in his own words on Golf Magazine or Golf it. Digest. It's good stuff, man. He's a guy how you can, can really can, root for. How can you not like him? Um, you know, I just my only concern is, is I just hope he does stay away from too much Twitter because, as we know, Anybody who spends too much, yeah. I mean, you just say the wrong thing, and you didn't mean it. You oh, yeah. You didn't mean what you said. It came out the wrong way, and oh, no, I just blew it. I blew my sponsorships. I blew, you know, and he's an up-and-coming guy, and he's so likable, and he's handsome, and he's engaging. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know what's crazy, Steve, is they talk about how nervous they are <clears throat> and when they're playing, and you just, not obviously not in a practice round, but coming down the stretch, he didn't look nervous, but I think I read something where he said he was shaky. You know, mm. these guys are the best in the world at what they do. And they get nervous. And they get nervous. And they, but they just hold it together and the way they finish. And they, that golf course, unfortunately, we didn't get to see the real golf course that it was a couple of days before the event because of all the rain. But, you know, I would have liked to have seen it. In sunshine, I think it would have shown so much better and there would have been more people. But uh, I, what he did coming down the stretch, he just never really faltered. Didn't and buckle. So hard to do. It's so hard to do. Yeah. So hard to do. To not, it's, and 16, 7, 15, 16, 17, 18 are brutal. They sure are. Well, Ron, I'm so happy for you. I loved all the photos you sent. Uh, Winston is very lucky to have you as a father. Both Ronas and I want to be adopted by you as your extra <laughs> sons. So Thank let us you. know when the application, where I can get that application. And uh, <laughs> we'll look forward to reconvening the gang next week. You're the best. All See right, you, buddy. bud. See you. Right, bye-bye. You are listening to the Capital Golf Gang. Four guys who will knock your lights out if you dare to ask for a gluten-free hot dog at the turn. All right, final segment here this week on the Capital Golf Gang. Our pleasure to say hi to the executive director of the Mid-Atlantic PGA, John Gould, who is fresh back from his Sunday first tee announcing duties at TPC Potomac at Avenel Farms. Oh, wait, I got that wrong. TPC Avenel at Potomac Farms? No, you had it right. TPC had Potomac right at Avenel Farms. first time. That proves the name yes. is too complicated. Uh, final tour, final Sunday of the Wells Fargo. How did it go? I saw you a couple times. It sounded like you were nailing it, but were there any hiccups? 
No, actually, it went pretty well. Now, I did I did the Wednesday Pro-Am, and then I did Friday, uh, the morning wave, and then uh, half of the Sunday wave. My uh, co-worker at the office, Bob Heinz, did the morning wave on Sunday. But it all went well. Uh, you know, it's uh, by the time you get to Sunday, it's literally handing the guys the scorecards, uh, especially when they're twosomes. It's very easy to make sure who gets the right the other scorecard. And then and making sure you know how to say their name. So a lot of times it was going over how to say their name. Oh yeah, that's... and uh, and then starting them on time. The tricky part for me, and I've started a uh, you know a million events over my career with the PGA. Uh, very few tour events. This one, and I do the Dominion Energy Classic, which is the Champions Tour playoffs in September at the Country Club of Virginia. I do that every year. Um, you know, it's you know it's a different crowd, but it's the same process, right? right. And what was what was unique for me actually was. You know, I'm, I was starting, I think by that time we were starting on the fives, uh, you know, so 35 after, 45 after. And the TV guy comes over to me and say, hey, we're, we're going to go on our call, not yours. Uh, so, you know, I'll give you a sign when it's time to go because they had to come back from commercial or what have you. So that was a little different for me because, you know, we're not usually on TV. Yeah. All right. So let's walk through this. The announcer on the first tee, now, you know, now on the tee, so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. That's right. always a golf official like yourself that is in charge of more than just announcing who they are. You're there handing out the scorecards. You're doing some other administrative stuff. You're making sure they're there on time. Or do some events have two guys, the, the administrative guy and then a celebrity show pony announcer guy? <laughs> I would say that uh, you're correct on the second one, that some of them have two people doing it. Okay. Uh, where it's one person speaking and then the other person that might be kind of the rules representative that's, you know, making sure they have the right cards, making sure they're on time. You know, the big, obviously the big thing for, for the weekend anyway, and Friday when I was starting was making sure they were aware that they were playing lift, clean, and place, right? Preferred lives because of the water. Right. Um, so I would say most of them, like the PGA Championship, which I'm familiar with but have not started at, um, we have someone announcing, and then there's someone else doing what I would call the starter roles and in, in handing out the scorecards and making sure they are, they're aware of the rules and that kind of thing. All right, but so I, you, yes, I was doing both. You hand out the scorecards to the players or the yes. caddies? The players. Just, no, the players. And no, hand, definitely not the caddies. Do you hand, do you hand the, the scorecard to the player and then instruct the player to exchange it with the other player? No, I do the exchanging for them. Okay. So, uh, Thursday, you know, is probably, it's not hard, but the most difficult day because you're going to say, hey, A, you're going to get B, B, you're going to get C, and C, you're going to get A, right? Because it's three. Um, because it's three. On Friday, my, my question was, who did you keep yesterday? If you kept Billy, I'm going to give you Billy. So you don't have to think. You just, you're keeping score for the same oh. guy. The, the funny thing is, a couple of them commented saying, I can't remember. There's a lot of events with a lot of scorecards. <laughs> I, I don't, don't remember, remember who I kept yesterday. <laughs> so what happens when that, when they say that? Well, they eventually they figure it out. You know, okay, if they yeah. can't, if they legitimately can't remember, we ask the other guys who they kept, and then we can figure it out, right? But, but does it matter at the end of the day if they're just like no, be anybody's? no, it, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, as long as they're not keeping their their own card, it, it doesn't matter. But it's just easier for them to, right. uh, you know, make sure that if they were keeping Billy on on day one, they keep Billy on day two. It's just right. ultimately it's just easier. Now, a PGA Tour tournament card or one for a major has a little strip down below that is detachable that you keep your own score on so you can more easily match it up against the card being kept by yeah and i would say i would say any 
decent level competition does that. So all of our section events do that. All of the Virginia State, Maryland State uh, amateur events do that. Uh, yeah, so you detach it, and when you're in scoring, you can just place it next to the scorecard that the, the individual who, who was your marker kept for you and just look at it and see 4433. And obviously, when there's a discrepancy, fix it. Because the, the problem that a lot of people have in scoring is they shoot, they see, oh, 36, 36, 72. Yeah, that's what I shot. Well, they had a five when you're supposed to have a four, and they had a four when you're supposed to have a five. It still adds up to 36, 36, 72, but you've just oh, been disqualified. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. So, now, it visually it visually lets you check it. Right. Uh, the, the, casual, the casual fan may say, why on the PGA Tour, with all the digital scoring and the television, why do you even bother to do this? You know the score of each guy. Answer that. You know, the, there's not a really good answer for it except tradition and the, the fact that ultimately the player is responsible. So if, if you're letting somebody electronically keep the score or somebody's just doing it watching you on TV, they ultimately the, – the player has to be responsible for it. Right. right? So if the player is going to be responsible for it, they need to be able to be the one who checks it. And, and then, you know, part of the civic duty of the other player is to keep their score and, and to protect the, the field. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting. The rules change to say instead of saying sign your scorecard, it now says attest your score. Because during COVID and then some events now all the time, you can keep your card electronically. All the all the tournament software now does that. Really? We have uh, we use Golf Genius. Our tournaments we have them keep their score electronically, but then we also have them sign a scorecard. And I would say, you know, I, I see a, a time in the future where they just sign off electronically that that scorecard yeah. is correct, and they're, I, and they're testing it that way. I think it's still good to keep a paper card. You know, because yeah, it feels you, right. ne you never know. Right. I was out of the, the internet. Day, um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, you may need to reference that. Now, I can't think of the last scorecard snafu on tour. Can you? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure a lot more happened than you would think, uh, but not not necessarily. I mean, it probably was when the when the two guys and they fixed that in the rules didn't exchange cards. So they kept their their own. No, they kept the other guy's score, but on their scorecard. So when they turned it in, it wasn't oh, correct. Right. You know. So if it's me and you, and I put write my scores on Steve Zabin's scorecard, uh, and you write uh, uh, your scores on John Gould's scorecard, and we turn it in, we both sign for a wrong score. Eventually, one of the one of the holes is going to have a score higher than what we scored. Right. And they fixed that now. Where you know, if you just had the names wrong on the top. It's not a violation of the of the rule for for signing yeah. an incorrect scorecard. And of course, the most famous incident was Roberto DiVincenzo at the Masters yes. in '68. What a I stupid say. I am! Yeah, where he uh, what a stupid I am. <laughs> he signed for an incorrect scorecard that was one higher than what he had actually shot. And when you right. sign for a card that is higher than your score, you get the score that you signed for. You're not right. disqualified. You just get the higher score. If you were to sign a scorecard for anything lower, you're disqualified. Right. We had we had a team event uh, two weeks ago, and we had one team do each. One one team signed for a scorecard lower because they just didn't check it. They they you know they and then the other team scored for a for a, a score signed for a score that was one higher than when they shot. So the one team, like you said, just ended up with one you know a score that was one higher than they actually shot, right. and the other team got disqualified. Right. Uh, do you tell the players on the first tee any other notes about the course? 
uh, local no. conditions, local rules for the day? No, that's the, that's one of the great things about doing that at the tour level. On our section level, I go over our notice to players and say, just a reminder, here's what scoring is, and you know, here's what we're doing with this, you know, sod seam area or whatever on tour. They, if the expectation is that they're going to figure it out, it's on the back of their whole location sheets. And if they don't see it, there's either rules official out there or they're responsible. So I don't even hand them the, the uh, whole location sheets. They get it on their own. And, okay. and most of, most of the caddies have gotten it already in the caddy room. Um, you know, so literally I hand them a scorecard and nothing else. It's, it's actually quite, quite a lot <laughs> easier than doing our section events. Cause in our section events, I've got a spiel to tell them about. I'm handing them their, their notice to players, which has their whole locations and, and, uh, and their scorecards and the whole bit. Yeah. This is a little bit easier. Just a lot more people watching. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what about making it to the tee on time? Whose time is official? Is it yours on your watch? Does the tournament have an official clock? Yes, we had an official clock, and it is set to the atomic clock, which most of most associations have that, uh, where it, it checks in by radio to be correct atomically. Uh, and, and so, for example, most cell phones do the same thing. And the, the official clock at, at um, TPC Potomac, or, or because of the Wells Fargo, didn't have a second hand. But it was synced up to my cell phone because they're both checking the same place. So I would look at my cell phone, and when it was, for example, 12.04.45, that's when I would start talking to the 12.05 group. Um, but based on the second hand on my, on my, my phone. Right. But, yeah, so, that, so that it's, the, it's the time on the tee. And interestingly, you know, there's one of those, uh, uh, you know, pretty uh, official clocks on the putting green that I believe on Thursday was a minute behind and threw some people oh. off. So they, they fixed it. But in, in the end, it's the time on the tee. And right. there's also a rules official. Usually, you know, this is what they do at tour that we can't afford to do at the section level. But uh, they have a rules official on the putting green. And so if, if anybody was not on the tee two minutes before the tee time, I was to call him and say, I'm missing, you know, right. you know, player. And he would find him. Usually they're around. They were just putting so around. What happens? Green. What happens if you miss your tee time? Well, if you're, if you arrive at the tee late, so once that hits zero, zero, and you're not at the tee or you're at the tee without being ready to play, in other words, you don't have clubs or a ball, <laughs> uh, you, you get a two stroke penalty up until you're five minutes late. So let's say we had a noon starting time, from twelve zero 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 one to twelve oh four fifty nine, you get two strokes. As soon as it hits twelve oh five zero zero, Dairy Queen disqualified. So, oh really? So you right. you've got how many minutes to DQ? Five. Okay. What if you yep. get to the T and you know you're not hitting first? That is not that is not a uh, part of the equation. So you so need to you, be ready. You ru- you run to the T. You've got your laces untied. Your caddy yep. is running behind you by a hundred yards with your bag. And, and the your two other guys driver. have hit. That's bad news. No, 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 no. You're there at uh, right as the thing. You're you're right there, a li- like let's say one second late, and you know you right. don't have to hit right away. You're still penalized, even though they're going to take a minute or so to right. hit. That is technically correct. Now, uh, at, at that competition, I'd, I'd say, where was he at zero zero? You know, was was he was he pretty close with a club in his hand? You know, there's you know, you, you got to be a little bit understanding. <laughs> but officially, like what has happened before is, you know, at zero zero, player A. And he probably doesn't hit right at zero zero, but he's starting his process and hits. Player B hits, 
player C walks up as B's finishing his follow through and says, I'm here on time. No, that is not the case. Wow, right? His okay. starting time was zero zero, not oh one thirty after two guys have hit and he's just rolling up. I for, another thing for five hundred things that'll never happen, Alex. So you run to the first tee with your putter in hand to yep. try to make your tee time. You get there, putter in hand, saying, I'm ready to hit, knowing you're not going to tee off with your putter, but knowing you're going to hit third and your caddy's going to get there in a minute with your driver and your bag. Have you made your tee time? You have. Wow. You've got a club and a ball. Yep. What if you, you have made your tee time? What if the, what if the, what would you ever say as a starter? Okay, you got your putter. I know you're not hitting with that, but where's your ball? What if you have no ball in your pocket? Are you going to frisk a guy and say, show me? No, I'm not going to frisk a guy. Correct. Generally speaking, these guys show up at the first tee how many minutes in advance anyway? Uh, A lot of them walk in right as the other group's leaving. Or or they're at the putting green where they can see it. That's the beauty of the tour. They've got it pretty much set up like that. So I don't think I got anyone really within five minutes. You know that I was really starting to sweat. Okay. All right. Very good. Now, how was the announcing in terms of names? Were there any tricky names? And sometimes the simpler names you can botch because a Justin's a Jordan and a so and so is a so and so. Was there any tricky names? Yeah, and did the, you the nail tricky everyone? ones were like uh, I, I asked, so I think I nailed everyone. You know, uh, there's a last name that could have been Seifert or Seifert. Uh, I asked him, and it was Seifert, so I got that. Anurbarn Lahiri was a little tricky, yeah. uh, but I got him. I did have Kiradech Appy Barnrat, uh, which I uh, which I successfully handled. Right, uh, but I did ask, you know, so I, I wasn't afraid to ask these guys, uh, you know, you know, to make sure I didn't botch it. I'm, I'm sure I might have put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable a couple times, but uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty happy with uh, my choke level, you know, because you get up there and you've got it, and you might have even gone over it with them, and then you start yelling it, you know, because you got to speak pretty loudly for the group, and sometimes you just you just go with what's comfortable and, and forget what you you uh, you talked yeah. about. So I'd assume I'm pretty happy. With I'd assume I there's very little chit chat with you and the very players. Little. Very little. A very little, un- unless maybe they're early guys out, right? Uh, yeah, or I and, know him. And, you know, Danny McCarthy just, yeah, is okay. local. You know, did you so, chat with him you know, briefly? I, I did. Well, so he's, I, he sponsors a junior tour event. We have a Denny McCarthy Invitational at, at uh, Argyle Country Club. So I, I just said, hey, thanks again for sponsoring that. And he's, he loves it. And, you know, he, he went on a little bit about that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else might have. Uh, it, uh, he wasn't in this event, but one of the guys, um, oh, shoot, what's his name? One of the University of Georgia guys played for one of my buddies in high school who was the golf coach in this high school. Okay. So we catch up a little bit of that. But, you know, I don't know most of these guys, so there's very little chit-chat. What about the caddies? Do you chat with them? They, well, they do. They're always talking about the weather. or I mean, they, they one of the guys was, was just – going over the pencil selection, like trying to find a better pencil. He said, <laughs> you know, this is my favorite golf course on tour, but I hate the pencils. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, of all the things to hate. And, and the, the truth is they weren't sharp. You know, there was like a bad production run, you know, so it's not like the manufacturers could be bad or something like that. It was just a bad run. I just thought it was hilarious of what they do talk about. You know, they talk about food and yeah. you know, this weekend they were talking about not slipping you know, on the hills uh, because of the wet. You know, it really is amazing. That's the thing, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you talked about it with the other guys, but it is amazing that they got all four rounds in. I'm stunned. I mean, that, that golf course drains so well now that yep. they must be proud. I mean, 
It cost a ton of money to redesign it, but they did it right because there's no way they should have been able to play that thing, and they did. No. I mean, the key was getting Friday done, right? Once you get Friday done and make the cut, even if you have to, you could play 36 holes on Sunday, which obviously nobody wants to do, but you could. Right. Uh, but but you're right. They, it drained very well. I mean, there were spots in the fairways where you know water gathered, but they were playing lift clean in place. They had a place to go for, for what we now call temporary water, not casual water. But the greens were spectacular. Yeah, you know, I, I think they, they did call in some squeegees every now and then, but there was basically, I mean, there was not that I saw there was, there was basically no standing water and the putts weren't like super slow where it was a farce. Right. I mean, the putts were putting, yeah. um, it was incredible and, and credit to the superintendent staff and the, and the tournament staff. I mean, it was amazing to keep, you know, I started them and then I'm done. Right. I don't have to do anything else. And just to keep looking, they're still playing. They're still playing. They're going to finish. I'm like, you know, it's just, yeah. it's really impressive. Amazing stuff. All right. Real quick in two minutes, the Sergio controversy. Yes. He's on 10. He snipes it into the long grassy area. I couldn't believe he penalty was actually, area. sorry, yeah. penalty area. I, I, I don't like yeah. calling it that. He, uh, he snipes it into the hazard ghoul yeah. and he is in there looking for it. And the rules official says, uh, you used your three minutes, time to go back and hit again. Then they have to correct. Then Sergio snipes off with, I can't wait to not deal with you guys anymore. Right. I can't wait to leave this tour. I'm going which is to essentially, the LIV tour. Yeah. Essentially committing to the LIV tour in a very El Nino-like childish tantrum, which is so on brand. But yes. the tour then later came out and said, whoops, our bad. We made a mistake. What did the rules official do that made it a mistake? All right. So, and and, the, and and he did not necessarily like interpret the rules wrong. He just executed it incorrectly. So you get a th- you have three minutes to search now, right? It used to be five minutes, but it's three minutes to search. And the question is, comes down to when do you start the clock? Right. And he started the clock. The rules official started the clock when Sergio entered the penalty area. But apparently, What's wrong he didn't, with that? well. That would be kind of that's normal what, operations. That's what right. I would have started the clock. So, right. So apparently the rules official had told him the specifics. I'm not the rules official. The volunteer had told him a specific spot in that penalty where it was. And it was across the actual water in the penalty area. Oh. So it was a bit of a trip, right? He, he, As you said, he sniped it. It was not a trickle into the penalty area. It was deep, right? So he had to travel uh, a little bit, get across the water, get a little bit further to the area where, you know, the, it's three minutes from when you start your search. Well, he, he wasn't searching when he was just trying to get through it. Uh, oh. So he started the clock too early because he just entered the penalty area, but there was still a significant amount to travel to get to the area where he was going to do. And, and is, a tip for our listeners out there, if you start, if you've got a rules official watching you for that three minutes and you start looking 50 yards short of where it ends up, where you thought it'd end up, you started looking, you know, if you start, moving grass and looking around that's when we started uh and in this case this is the opposite he was walking through long grass not searching just trying to get to the part where the volunteer had told him the ball had ended up and the rules official not knowing that advice had been given or that instruction had been yeah. given just started when he entered the penalty area ultimately it was too late right once they admitted their fault he had already played the hole he'd, he'd taken the drop for the for the penalty area made par incidentally. Oh, uh, but, yeah. boo-hoo. I'm yeah. going to play the Saudi tour because of this. Right. By the way, because so, I made a par. Yeah, right. Exactly. What a, as if they're not going to have rules officials on the live tour. 
They are. Right. And, and and this is the same guy who damaged holes out in the Middle oh. East. I can't remember what event, but, oh, you know, yeah. I, I wonder how they're going to like that when he's playing in the Middle East. I mean, Sergio showed his whole ass, as the kids yes. say, in this incident. And I think from a ruling standpoint, once you're in that hazard area, you can't just say, I'm not looking yet. I'm traveling to where I'm going to start looking. You don't know where the ball is. So you know Most you're of us already don't. looking in there. It could be anywhere, so yeah. suck it up, Buttercup. I agree. I mean, most of you know, most of us don't have volunteers saying it's in that portion of the penalty area, way over there, off across the water. You know, most of us, as soon as we enter, enter the penalty area, we're looking, right? Yeah. Take a take a drop. Take your medicine. He made par, and B stop sniping him. Okay, it's that simple. All right, John. Always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Good job, and we will see you next week. All right. Thanks, Abe. There you go, John Gould, the executive director of the Middle Atlantic PGA. All right, that'll do it for us this week on the Capital Golf Gang presented by Golfdom. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being as nerdily invested in all the nuances of this silly game as much as we are. I know all that we just talked about sounded really, really nerdy, but I love it because I'm a golfer and I love that kind of stuff. All right, thanks for listening. Thank you to John Gould, to John Ronas, Ron Thomas, and to Buddy Christensen, a sponsor of the Capital Golf Gang. Have a great week. Go out there and play. Spring is finally in full bloom, and we will see you next time. This has been the Capital Golf Gang on the Team 980. If you'd like the gang to visit your home course, send your inquiries to zabe at yahoo.com. That's C-Z-A-B-E at yahoo.com. Or visit the show page at www.theteam980.com. And for free swag, we're all an extra large. So yeah, thanks for the shirts.